Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I am your host, Cat Bailey. Joining me as always is my lovely co-host, Eric Van Allen. Hello, I am lovely this week. I get to be the lovely co-host. I take over now. <laughs> yes, Nadia is out this week, but we will be talking about all of the lovely RPG topics that are in our hearts anyway. I will be filling, we'll be filling in with the, not the nostalgia nook or the nostalgia pit or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Cat's nostalgia cave. You know, we got to get the, the K sound in there. The, the cave. Oh, I like it. Cat's nostalgia cave. Mm-hmm. What is there? Is there a synonym for nostalgia that starts with a K? Help me out here. Oh, the cove. There is, there is, but we should the really cove. avoid making it that because it will have some bad implications. <laughs> <laughs> well, even though we don't have Nadia, we'll be talking about a variety of RPG topics, including Cyberpunk 2077 is on next-gen consoles, the Wii U and 3DS eShops closing down. We'll be talking about grand strategy in RPGs, courtesy of our $50 patron, Ruka, and of course, we'll be adding four more games to the Top 25 RPG Remake 2022 Intergrade. If you enjoy the show, and why wouldn't you? It's an amazing show. Thank you so much. Please go ahead and leave a review on the podcast of your choice. We appreciate it. Brightens our day. Makes us very happy. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbat. And Eric is at cmoosey, S-E-A-M-O-O. S-I. We have a Patreon. The Patreon helps the show go on. And for the cost of a a coffee each month, you can get access to all kinds of really cool, unique content, including Charlie and Dropouts, our Final Fantasy XIV podcast that is coming up this week. And Eric, you're going to be on that one. I know. I've had my arm twisted. Uh, I'm finally going to be on Charlie and Dropouts. I'm not anywhere near caught up in fourteen compared to the other players, but I think we'll be I'm just about, I think I'm about to start Stormblood. So I'm maybe like halfway to the, oh God, I just realized how long I have to go. <laughs> I'm like halfway to being caught up. Oh. You're getting pretty close actually to being, you're an Endwalker, right? No, no, no I'm in Stormblood. So I'm, oh, there's, okay. there's Endwalker and then Shadowbringers and then Stormblood. So I still have three expansions to go <laughs> to catch up. <laughs> oh mm. wow so much i mean and you got to finish it all before you get to elden ring that's not happening that's i i you're skipping elden point, ring skipping no elden cat ring? don't do this to me <laughs> i'm playing Eric, elden what ring. are you doing you're playing I'm final fantasy play. 14 because of instead of elden ring undoubtedly the best game of the year no no i am playing i'm playing elden ring next week i went i have finally gone from zero to 100 on this game and i'm normally kind of into FromSoft stuff but there's something about elden ring that i keep looking at it and being like no i'm i'm playing this game this looks like some real good sicko shit you're gonna want to play elden ring you're gonna want to play elden ring i know i i am aware <laughs> um if you're excited for Elden Ring, by the way, we have a From Software uh, guide, a game developer quest for From Software, where we go through all of its history and its various games and everything. It's available exclusively to $5 patrons, as well as Charlene Dropouts and our guide to tactics RPGs and lots more exciting stuff. We've got a Summer of Gundam coming up. It's great. And of course, we're playing Final Fantasy Tactics as part of the Pantheon of the Blood God. We also have our Stars of Destiny who come and join us each week for a 
weekly live show. And it's a shout out this week to our stars of Destiny who are joining us, including Teeps, Abby of the Moon, Beware the Slimes, Brian C. Nerd, Drew, RWX, Gamer-esque, Ruka, Sarden, and Spirus. Thank you so much for your amazing support. All right. Let's get started with the show. We'll start with our sacrifices to the Blood God, the RPGs that we're playing right now. Eric, what's on your plate? Talk about a sacrifice this week of my own life. Um, I've been playing a little old game called Monarch. Um, this is one that's been kind of under the radar for most people, I feel. Uh, it is... Uh, from some former Shin Megami Tensei devs, but it's under the Furyu banner. Uh, it is, I think, conceptually a really cool RPG. The setup like is is great. You're in this academy. There is a barrier that has fallen over the academy. Mist is everywhere. People are losing their minds and, and going feral on each other. And... Uh, you have these pact bearers that embody different uh, the seven deadly sins. And you, one of the coolest things it does actually is you take personality quizzes throughout the game and it like Myers brings you into what sort of desires you have the most. And will then turn that into the kind of like fiends familiars that help you out in battle alongside your human companions. So like, I took the first one and it was like, oh, you have gluttony as your highest because you just want to like consume and learn and and become powerful. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, that sounds like me. I I fucking love to. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm cussing so much today. <laughs> um, I love to like, <laughs> you know, just engorge myself on on knowledge as much as I can. So that that is very much me. Um, and so it like gave me a familiar of gluttony whose entire play kit was built around stealing buffs from enemies and applying them to my team. It's got some cool ideas like that. This is maybe the most I have ever grinded ground in an RPG. Uh, and it is the worst grind to actual story content I've seen in an RPG in some time. It wow. is so that's, uh, that's saying thin. something. Yeah. It's so thin. It is ridiculously thin on story content i'm sorry i've had this pent up in me because i have a review in progress live on destructoid right now i'm working on my final review which means i'm going through i am right now literally in the end game of this game and it is constant uphill battle constant grind every time you like one of the worst things it does is it gives you one metric for leveling everybody in your party up so you basically get chunks of xp which are also what you spend to get items in this game. And then you spend them to unlock these little like nodes on the skill tree. And it takes at least 10 battles to make any meaningful progress. The battles are very slow. They're very drawn out. And I think there's some really cool conceptual mechanics in it, like the ability to uh, your main character can resonate with another character and that will let you share buffs and debuffs across each other. So like when you boost up your attack with an ability, whoever is resonated with you will boost up. But then you have madness. So using skills instills you with madness. And if you hit 100% madness, you'll go berserk for three turns, be completely uncontrollable and super powerful, and then you'll die. <laughs> and, oh, uh, that sounds like uh, Valkyria Chronicles, or not Valkyria Chronicles, uh, Valkyrie Profile Covenant of the Plume. 
a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have the balance out, which is this awakening thing where if you kind of super saiyan charge up long enough, you can hit your awakening and that will reset your madness and uh, give you special attacks and things like that. So it's, it sounds conceptually cool, but because you have to grind so much in these very basic battles in, in arenas that look the same, that are not tactically interesting that against enemies that are just basic for most of the game that don't do very interesting things, don't really force you to think about them in interesting ways. It is just monotonous. It is so monotonous and it, it, it hurts because I think there is some good stuff at the crux of this game, but Man, I I wrote in my review in progress that uh, it makes you work way too hard to get to what's good about this game. And if I was playing it casually, I would have dropped it like straight up. And so uh, it's also got some issues with writing. I think it tries to tackle some high school stuff that's a little bit darker uh, themes of bullying, themes of uh, of drugs and sex and things like that (laughs) so it's trying to do the persona thing yeah it's trying to be somewhere it's not quite euphoria but it's like on the level of persona yeah it's not zendaya doing hard drugs in the bathroom or whatever (laughs) but it's uh it's like persona level but the problem is persona grapples better with this stuff than this game does and i don't think persona particularly grapples well with some of the topics it handles and I have not found this Can't for myself. Persona, persona. I right, um, and I have not found this for myself yet. I've only seen one report of it, and obviously, this game is not available yet. The, the embargo was actually crazy early. Um, it, it comes out as of when you will be hearing this recording. It comes out tomorrow, uh, so we had way early embargo on this. But I did see one report of some issues with uh, trans representation in this game, specifically oh, dead naming a character. So, Oh, oh. that's fun. Um, I have not been no. able to verify that for myself. I have been trying to look for that, but also because of the way this game is built, it's a nightmare to find anything <laughs> in this game. So, uh, yeah, Monarch is a game that I really wanted to be interesting. And I really do think has some interesting ideas going for it. And I want to see this team take another stab at it, but half of it feels like they were, hamstrung on budget um there's a lot of repeat environments very samey stuff just things where you could tell like they had broader ideas but then had to scale it back down and then the other side of it is that i think there's just some stumbles in the writing department i don't think you get enough time with these characters to care about them uh before it it jumps you right from hi hello we're friends now to are we going to fight each other and kill each other are you going to side with me against everybody else and i'm like i've known you for five minutes dude (laughs) like calm down uh so i i I just think it's got cool ideas a really cool vibe a really cool world and actually a neat combat system that reminds me of lost dimension a little bit but i i I, I can't click with it. It's I think it's worth looking into if you like something a little bit offbeat and dark and but you've got to be ready for the grind. Like if if you want something to just lose hours to, this will eat your hours. But yeah, that's just wait uh wait for triangle strategy. Which yeah. is coming up soon. It's I, I think it is it's nice to get these games every once in a while because I think one of the things I run into the most when I'm reviewing games is that too often we get above average games. And uh, it's nice to have a solid, you know, five or six out of 10 come across the desk where you sit there and you're like, okay, 
no, this this helps me reset my internal critical metric a little bit. Um, and you know, I I sound negative because I am in an uphill grind to finish this game. There are some things I did like about it. To be fair, I think the music is is absolutely incredible. It has a licensed music track for each boss battle, and all of them are bangers. And that is every JRPG should be doing that. Why aren't you doing that? <laughs> because it costs money. Yeah, this is clearly where all the money went. <laughs> they couldn't put it into designing arenas and more interesting enemies because they got licensed <laughs> music tracks for the bosses. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's Monarch. It's, I think if you're really, really looking for something that is off the beaten path of a tactical RPG, something that's going to feel fresh and that has a Shin Megami Tensei tone to it, and there is a demo, so that's the other nice part is you can try it out. And if you like the demo, then I'd say maybe check it out. But even then, I'd say maybe wait for a sale because I'm going to tell you now what's in that demo. Play it 40 more times, and that's the video game right there. <laughs> so that's the game. Uh, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to move on. So, Kat, tell me about other hopefully better video games that I will be able to play in the near future. <laughs> See, this is why I'm glad to have you around, Eric, because you play these games, these nonsense games that I probably mm-hmm. would never have even noticed. I only knew about Monarch because of you. So thank you for your service. I appreciate it. Nadia was like, hey, I'm being asked if I should review this game. Should I review this game? You're like, no. no you're, she was like, no. okay. <laughs> Yeah, no, look, I go I go digging deep in the mines and sometimes that means that the darkness comes out at me and I I get when I'm looking. You know, when you play Minesweeper and you click on the cells, sometimes you get a good one and you clear out half the board and sometimes you hit a mine and I was bound to hit one sooner or later. <laughs> uh in the chat, Teeps wants to know what the worst games we've ever reviewed is. I think that's a great post-show topic. So I think we'll... Oh, uh, yeah, let's pocket that. Let's, yeah. let's pocket that one and circle back after the credits. Okay. As for me, what I am playing, I am playing a, a smorgasbord of games right now. One Ooh. is the Cyberpunk 2077 Next Gen update, which we'll be talking about in just a hot second. One of them is... Pokemon Legends Arceus, which I'm still mm. kind of plugging along at. And one of them is Horizon Forbidden West, which came out on Friday, which would be tomorrow as of the recording of this podcast. All the reviews are out. So I'll just talk briefly about my experiences with Horizon Forbidden West, which is a perfectly fine game that is really nice. Horizon Zero Dawn was a game that did not really resonate with me back in the day. And Horizon Forbidden West, I think, is better, actually, than Zero Zero Dawn. It's certainly gorgeous. It is Mm -hmm. a beautiful, beautiful game, especially when you're playing um, in performance mode. I like the the overworld a lot more. And the the actual robots are really cool. Like, the designs Mm -hmm. are really Mm -hmm. neat. They animate in such fluid and interesting ways. Um, There's just enough depth there. Mm. to make the combat at least reasonably interesting. Um, They'll like come, like you'll see a robot and you'll be like, okay, this is how I know it's going to try and attack me. And then you'll set up your strategy accordingly. So it's not a totally Mm -hmm. mindless experience when you're dealing with all of these creatures. The story is whatever. Um, 
if you didn't play the original Horizon Zero Dawn, you will be very spoiled the second you start Horizon Forbidden West because it reveals all of the major um, revelations from Zero Dawn and picks up directly from Zero Dawn as soon as the game starts. So if you didn't play Zero Dawn and you and you want to like kind of go in and see the whole story, I'd start with Zero Dawn before you go over to uh, Forbidden West. Um, I didn't care, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm in that pool. The The premise is... Like, uh, I'll just say that very broadly, the premise is that Silicon Valley destroyed the world, lol, um, which is not a not a terrible premise for a video game, <laughs> honestly. Uh, there's been some discourse about the fact that Aloy is a white lady right, wearing tribal stuff. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, the, the imagery of indigenous folks is deployed purely for aesthetic purposes and... Mm it's a little cringe not gonna lie Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. not enough to completely derail the game but also i'm not indigenous i would like the opinion of what indigenous folks uh feel about Mm -hmm. um about that particular thing but um as for the game itself like whenever i play it i get into a flow and i think to myself this is nice this is fine i am okay with this why am i playing this game i don't know aside from the fact that it's nice it's very conventional Mm -hmm. very well done i don't hold a game being conventional against it per se um but i do uh, i play a lot of video games so when a game is uh, very conventional uh, i do tend to check out unless it is exceptionally well executed mm-hmm. and horizon forbidden west is well executed not gonna lie um is it deserving of just completely over the top praise maybe i probably need to get further in order to be able to talk more on that particular subject um, I do think there's a lot of focus on graphics, and that brings me back to a couple episodes ago when we were talking about Pokemon Legends Arceus, which is I think there's too much focus on graphics. If there's one thing that bugs me about Horizon Forbidden West, and it's the same with God of War, mm-hmm. I want to ban box-pushing puzzles. Ban Oh, em. no. Get rid of them. Gone for good. They should be banned from this generation. No it should more. be banned forever. Yeah, yeah. I, I get whenever I walk into a giant room, and I look around, I see some boxes that I knew I'm going to have to mm-hmm. push to be able to get to the thing and do the thing and to climb the bit. I just immediately get really stressed out because I'm like, mm-hmm. this is just a complete nonsense waste of time. I would rather be doing something interesting that requires some intentionality. This is not something that is around thought Mm -hmm. it is a time waster it is a filler it is there to be like okay well we need them to feel like uh, we need to fill time so they're going to move the freaking crate around it's going to be really easy they'll figure it out if they get stressed out and quit we don't want them to do that so it's Mm -hmm. not going to be hard Mm -hmm. it's just there for them to do they did that in god of war they did that in jedi fallen order now they're Mm -hmm. doing it here and I'm like, no, no, I, I, re- I refuse to subscribe to this. If there's one thing that Ghost of Tsushima had over um, this game, Horizon Forbidden West, is that Ghost of Tsushima, as silly as it is, did not have the box puzzles. So in my mind, it is automatically better mm. <laughs> than Forbidden West. What if we so. had a pallet that you had to push in the water because a character mm-hmm. can't swim? And so you have to move the pallet around to get the character between areas. Mm. I... I a point to Monarch here. Monarch has good puzzles in it. Monarch 
made me break out my notebook and write things down and try to solve things. And I was Googling stuff because it uses real world references to like Buddhism and stuff like that to there. There was a great one where I had to remember who composed Swan Lake and uh, use that as a reference to find something else. And I was like, this is this is cool. I like it when games do this stuff and it's not as flashy of a puzzle. You don't have this big environment where you're moving boxes around and, you know, the sort of Laura Croft Tomb Raider puzzles that have become very prevalent of, oh, it's a one big puzzle tomb and it's a big showcase. But at the end of the day, what you're doing mechanically is not as interesting as what you're seeing visually. And I don't know, like, that's the impression I get from Horizon, a game that I will still probably play because I want to see how nice it looks on my PlayStation 5. But it does just seem like content to play. Yeah, it's a very contrived kind of approach to game design. And I would say it's a crutch for game designers because they know that people are used to this thing, they're fine with it, and they can keep going Mm -hmm. back to it on the reg. And I would rather they do almost anything else other Mm. than trying to put it. It's just an terrible, terrible bit of environmental design. Uh, it just takes me out of the moment, reminds me that I am playing a video game. This is what, how you know that uh, from software games are the best because they don't do that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. they, uh, they do have their own kind of version of puzzles and mm-hmm. you can get lost as you're navigating these interesting places, but they're never going to ask you to move the box to climb the thing to get up to the bit so that you can grab the key that opens up the thing. Like mm-hmm. I found... I guess it's Horizon Forbidden West's equivalent of the Breath of the Wild temple. It's like this little ruin. And you're like going over the thing, then below the thing, and then you're getting the key, and you're getting the password. Mm-hmm. I finally got all of it. And then I, it was like, I, I don't, how do I enter the password? I got the key and the password. How do I enter the password? Screw it. I don't want the treasure. I'm leaving. Bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. I'm out of here. So... Uh, yeah, no, Horizon Forbidden West is a game that I'm going to forget having played, um, probably. Uh, that mm-hmm. said, boss fights are pretty fun. So <laughs> I just, I have no beef with Horizon mm. Forbidden West, but, uh, you know, it's kind of a partially hydrogenated uh, video game based gruel um, in some ways. Okay, that's, that's being mean. Um, it is a very good video game. Well, yeah. so let me let me pose this to you. The one thing that could really win me over on spending time in this, hmm. there is a Gwent-like in this game yes, called yes, Machine Strike. Is that any good? It looked kind of neat. I, I was like, oh, that looks tactical. Oh, great. Okay, cool. Yeah, I haven't found <laughs> the board game, but I, I'm sure it's good. Uh, it could be getting. It could get a lot better as I go on, and I like really dig into it. And I, I'll, I'm going to be full. I'm going to fully acknowledge. That mm-hmm. I went in with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder about mm-hmm. this game. Yeah. And yeah. I, I want to give it a fair shake, much like mm-hmm. I want to give Cyberpunk 2077 a fair shake so that I can have a much stronger opinion on it. It is gorgeous and it's good and, and it's not bad. <laughs> and I know that sounds like damning with faint praise, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. it were. It is not bad. In fact, in many ways, it is very good. Um, very well executed. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is reminding me of the way we talked about Ratchet and Clank 
last year sure, where everyone sure. came out of that and they were like Ratchet and Clank was a wonderful game. It was a great game. And that was kind of the end of it. And I think other games maybe stuck out a little bit more like your Returnals and things like that. So I loved Returnals. That was a cool game. Yeah. No, I, 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 I watched I think a video I'm, recently. Yeah. I'm biased toward originality. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I like Pokemon Legends Arceus better than I like Horizon Forbidden mm-hmm. West. Horizon and but I bet Horizon Forbidden West will do gangbusters and it'll probably be on game of the year list. Oh, and all of course. That. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those for me so far. It's like a solid eight out of 10, very well mm-hmm. executed and everything. So maybe I'm just pushing back against the really strong hype for this game, which mm. I feel like is driven at least in part by shiny game to play on my ps5 that is like a next gen showcase game and Mm. allow us to uh praise this game to the moon it's also quite polished it's yeah it's something to play a lot of people now are starting to get their ps5s and they want that game that makes them feel like they bought a new video game console and not just something that plays their ps4 games with faster load times which I like a lot. I'm a big fan of that. I think that was worth the purchase alone is those load times, but uh, you know, each their own. Well, this is why I host this podcast so that I can go on here and vent (laughs) (laughs) Uh, about these games. We'll see. Like I am going to, I'm giving this game a fair shake, Eric. I'm going to finish it. But of course, (laughs) another game's coming out. Elden Ring is coming out and that's going to probably take over my life very soon. That one's going to take up all the mental RAM. Sure uh, is. Final note, Pokemon Legends Arceus is very good, actually. I, it's a very chill, calming game, and it still feels like a prototype to me, but I'm having a good time with it. Yeah, Arceus is is a game that I think is going to have long legs. I think it's going to, like, when I was writing the story about people using Bibarels to cross a river today, I, it was reminding me a lot of how we write about Breath of the Wild these days, where people are still discovering weird stuff in that game. While I was trying to ford my own river with Bibarels, I found an alpha turtwig and got very excited. And I told my friend, Kenneth Shepard, friend of the show, who is a Pokemon master and has completed the Pokedex. I was like, yo, I found a place where there's an alpha turtwig. And he was like, you found a place where there's a what? He had not found this place before. And it's it's one of those games. It's surprisingly, uh, it, it, it's got a long lifetime, I think. Yeah, it's a great game to play while you're watching Legend of Vox Machina, which is what I was doing the other day. Um, just sound off, wandering around mindlessly, collecting Pokemon. Mm-hmm. There you go. I'm into it. Mm-hmm. Legend of Vox Machina. So you're getting ready for when we hit this tabletop goal then, huh? Apparently. Yeah. Um, I, I'm watching it because our house is a crit roll house now. I'm the only, I'm uh. the sole holdout who's not watching crit roll, which is very weird because... I am the RPG person, but I don't have time to devote my life to five hour episodes each time. So, yeah, yeah. But there is something intriguing about the world of professional podcast tabletop stuff. Every time there's drama in it, I watch a bunch of YouTube videos about all of it because it's just fascinating to me. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll we'll be dipping our toes in sooner or later. (laughs) So, well. We have Pokemon Legends Arceus, which I've been enjoying. We have Horizon Forbidden West, which is a game that I am also playing. And then we have Cyberpunk 2077, which finally mm-hmm. got 
its next-gen upgrade, patch 1.5, earlier this week. And everybody was joking that Cyberpunk finally came out of early access. Mm -hmm. Everybody was making all of the jokes about Cyberpunk finally being out. When we did our review roundtable at the end of 2020, I said, I'm going to pick this game up when we get the next-gen upgrade. I'm waiting, or an expansion even. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's when I, that, when they fix all the stuff, I will go back to it. Well, Eric, they fix all the stuff. I've gone back to it. I've picked mm-hmm. it up again. And now I'm debating putting it back down. <laughs> really? It's, it's not yeah. getting you. Um, I am into V and Judy's excellent lesbian adventure in some ways. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, where do I start even with Cyberpunk 2077? I felt a little bit out on it when I was in the digital brothel and all for reasons that I wasn't quite able to discern, I everything suddenly got hostile and I wasn't sure why. And then I got into some really stilted gunfights and I was mm. like, oh, this, this isn't great. People say that The Witcher 3 has bad combat. It's marginal the the combat in witcher 3 yeah. can be quite satisfying at points especially mm-hmm. if you manage to nail it and Geralt's mm-hmm. like going pew, pew 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 and then the arms are flying off and everything and mm-hmm. you've got the the magic going cyberpunk's shooting is not good i, I don't feel like nope. i'm breaking any ground by saying Mm-mm. that the shooting in that game is bad it's very mm-hmm. bad like even i mean i would compare it to fallout in some ways um Fallout Another game with, no with very bad shooter. <laughs> yeah. At least Fallout has the uh the 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 slowdown zoom in system, which can be kind yeah. of fun. Yeah. Uh Cyberpunk does not have that, to my knowledge, unless I'm missing something. I don't think you've missed anything. Mm-hmm. I have played Cyberpunk all the way to the ending, and that was when I decided to drop the game. Was I said I don't want to see how this game ends. <laughs> I walked up and then to, I looked it up. I was walking up to people and being like, "Bam!" You know, just walking straight up to them and shooting them in the until their heads exploded and they fell down and they were and they were cyber people. And I mm-hmm. was kind of like going, "Okay, I need to upgrade my character. Like, what am I doing with this combat? Um, mm-hmm. What are the options? If I if I'm just getting into a straightforward battle where I'm just shooting people, I feel like I'm doing something wrong." Yeah. Yeah, it is almost like Vampire the Masquerade in that way where you want to avoid combat as often as possible because combat is costly early on, but also combat is easily breakable in that game if you know where to look for it. And the interesting thing in this 1.5 patch is there have been updates to it to address some of that. And the way I saw some phrase it were... uh, they're making it more of an RPG because now you can't just build a crit build and one shot people with a pistol. And I look at that and say, so they're taking away the fact that you figured out how to break their system and, and beat it. And they didn't like that. They wanted you to play a different way. So they changed it. I have a lot of thoughts about taking those kinds of things out of if it's PVP, I understand, but I think in a PVE game, you should be allowed to break the game. If you can figure out how to break the game and I I'm interested in playing cyberpunk with this new patch. I've not started it yet. I've just been following what other people have been uh, posting about it, but I, I, I don't know. Part of me wonders if you can really fix 
what's wrong with cyberpunk. And I don't mean the bugs and the glitches and stuff like that. I mean, it just kind of felt like a neon aesthetic. You talked earlier about a world that just used imagery for imagery's sake and cyberpunk feels that way. I feel like it doesn't Mm. really grapple with the ideas of what cyberpunk means. It just kind of likes the idea of a cyberpunk aesthetic. It likes a a GTA that's in a neon future city. It's drawing on established source material, you know, so. Yeah, but it's, it's Mike Pondsmith's game is right there and all that. Yeah, but I feel even referencing that game, they kind of pulled back from it. And a lot of that game ends up feeling hollow as a whole. But I mean, a part of it is also because I just think doing the whole thing around Keanu Reeves character. I think Keanu Reeves is fine in that game. I know some people have varying opinions on his. Oh, I don't like I don't like Keanu Reeves in this game, actually. I think he's he's capital F fine. He really he feels really miscast in this game. Like Keanu Reeves as a caustic terrorist just does not read to me. He's maybe and maybe it's because secretly Keanu's not that great an actor. He's he's very good at playing oh, Keanu Reeves. No, 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 no. He's not a good actor. Cat. Cat. No. Keanu What's Reeves his best is a performance? perfectly his his best performance. Uh I mean I'm personally a big fan of Neo. But if I had okay. to really say like what He's I thought playing his Keanu best in the is, Matrix, okay. Is over time he embodies Neo very well. And and Neo has an arc, and I think he embodies that very well. The most recent movie Keanu is a great plays example one of this. character in every movie he's in. And that character is very likable. I like Keanu. Oh, he is incredibly charismatic. And actually, I think one of his best roles so. is himself when he was in that netflix romantic comedy and I've, i forgot what the name of it was but uh he plays himself and kind of like a funny comedic version of being a celebrity and all that and i thought he was incredible in that but granted a lot of celebrities are good at making fun of themselves so uh and he has i, I like also like johnny distinct utah. Faces. Johnny utah is a good role he has young keanu and young keanu action star like he was Fairly similar in speed. He was fairly similar in The Matrix. And then he got older, and now he's old Keanu. John Wick is a good role. John Wick Wick is a a great role. It's actually not that dissimilar from Matrix Resurrections in many ways. In the movie in which Carrie Ann Moss completely eclipsed him. Look, I love Keanu. Oh, Carrie Ann Moss is an incredible actress. I love Keanu. I love Keanu. He's great. I love him having him in stuff. In cyberpunk, I don't feel like I feel like he was miscast. I just I it does not read to me. No, the delivery yeah. is kind of stilted uh, when he's trying to be like, I'm Johnny Silverhand, the, the terrorist. And I'm like super out there in your head, uh, mocking you and everything. I just it I doesn't think that's read. the writing, though. I don't think like at some level you have to look at that and look at what he was given. And I think the writing in that game is a large problem. Um, I, I wouldn't say that his presence elevates the source material in many ways. Uh, It almost feels like a stunt, um, having Mm. it. And in many ways it is a stunt, uh, but he does look cool with the aviator glasses. I'll, I'll give him that. (laughs) Visually, he was a perfect choice. Like he looks the part of Johnny Silverhand, maybe the, uh, him you know, wake the f-, f up samurai and all that <laughs> like uh 
a little bit, but that's why I say like, he's fine. I, I think the broader problem is that that game just has a weird story that feels like it jumps around all the time. Like there are large portions of it that got cut out at various places. Uh, yeah, who's almost... Evelyn and why am I trying to find her? <laughs> yeah. So that is one of my largest problems with the game is that they give you the origin story and then they montage what would have been a really good act one just so they can jump you into the actual Keanu Reeves part of the game. And you're supposed to have this big tragic death scene with a character who's supposed to be, you know, like your best buddy. And that's kind of your motivating factor in wanting revenge. And it's once again, a case of I've known this dude for five minutes. I don't care. Like what people die in this game all the time. Motorcycle. I I, I guess it was kind of cool driving. So I picked nomad and it was cool driving into night city for the first time. Mm-hmm. This is this is where I will say nice things about Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, gorgeous okay. game. Very nice looking game. Mm-hmm. Uh, not as good as Horizon Forbidden West, actually. Horizon Forbidden West really is a beautiful game. Mm-hmm. Um, the neon drenched aesthetic like works and everything. There's a sense of physicality with your character. Like I feel like I am embodying my character at mm-hmm. any given moment in the way that the carrot the camera moves and everything. To the point where, like, Judy feels like a real person and I feel like I am with Judy. I feel like I am my character. That is not a feeling I get very often in an RPG. And that's why I'm kind of inclined to keep going with V and Judy's excellent lesbian adventure because that mm-hmm. is... I, I Judy has a van. It's mm-hmm. like Krieger's mm-hmm. van. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm expecting Rush to start playing at any mm-hmm. moment mm-hmm. when I'm in it. Um... Uh, we're we're like we're we're on, we're on the road. It's like Thelma and Louise. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I think there is there are parts of that game, much like Deus Ex, the the new Deus Ex games, uh, where the side quests can really shine. And Mankind Divided was a game where I thought the side quests really really shined. And and I felt the same when I was playing Cyberpunk. That when I got to some of the side quests, like Sinner Man, where you were following this dude around who is on death row and has decided that for, I, I believe it's for payment or so, or some reason, I can't remember the specifics, but he's basically decided to allow himself to be brutally murdered and have his brain recorded for a brain dance. So other people can feel that later on and in their weird virtual world. Uh, and you basically spend a day with him and you can try to talk him out of it or you can encourage him to do it. I think that is way more the cyberpunk that I was looking for. Whereas most of the cyberpunk of the actual game is just gritty crime story in a neon world. And sure. uh, there's not enough. It's all aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, mm. wouldn't it be cool if we dove into your brain and saw AIs and stuff like that. And instead you just spend so much time doing things that feel like things you do in other video games. And there's a lot of talk about things that were in that original gameplay reveal they had ages ago that then got taken out or, or were not present. Because the they spent so much that, time trying to get Night City work because yeah. they were so ahead of their time. Or they bit off way too much trying to make my, Night City mm-hmm. a thing. Mm-hmm. They finally got Night City to the point where it works, kind of. You know, I'm mm-hmm. driving around at 60 FPS on my motorcycle through this huge city where cars are whizzing by and people are going and doing their own thing. And it looks mm-hmm. cool. 
it it works in a way that it did it before. Well, like I I watched all the you know the blooper videos where the crowds were just utterly utterly oh, broken. Yeah. Yeah, this game. It makes me think of the uh, Unreal Engine Five um, demo that had Keanu in it, or oh. the Matrix one. Yes, yeah, the Matrix one. Yeah, yeah. So, but and I was like, that demo made me realize how absurdly far CD Projekt had tried to go with this particular mm-hmm. tech. Um, with the next gen patch, unfortunately, it's not up to snuff with the PC. And it's actually gotten yeah. people talking about whether or not the current gen console, like some people are like, oh my God, are the next gen consoles already outdated? No, I don't think so. People are still learning the PS5 and Xbox uh, Series X. Yeah, and this, this was a game that had to function on a PS4 and well, function. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did air quotes for those listening. Um, it had to run as an executable on a PS4 and an Xbox One. And so I do think we're still kind of in that stage where we have some you know, quote unquote, next gen experiences, but we're still, it's not even a case of being held back or whatever. We're just, this is a new generation of hardware that we don't know as, as well quite yet. And, and PC has been cooking. It's been a good time on PC development lately, unless you're from software and you have exploits in dark souls. But Well, assuming that you could actually get an RTX 30 card, which good luck in mm-hmm. this day and age. Yeah. It is a rough time, but no, uh, Cyberpunk patch 1.5, like it works now. Uh, you got the performance mode, which is essential. I didn't realize that the HDR was turned off until I turned it on. I was like, oh, this game looks much better now. This is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, big makeover. Everything works now. You can reject calls. So you're not, I mean, you're still getting annoyed by <sighs> cell phone calls from people all the so time. Close. But yeah, but it's a little bit easier now uh, to not be. Um, there are, uh, uh, I guess they deepened some of the romance options. Now they can like come over to your apartment and sleep with you. That That's cool, I suppose. Um, they can wake up next to you. That's cool. <laughs> I'm into that. That's, it's it's nice. It's, I want to wake up next to Judy. I think the romance still has problems in terms of how they gate it in some ways. Sure. Because I, I cannot remember exactly how it works, but I believe it's tied to what kind of voice you have. Mm-hmm. Is if you have a masculine or feminine voice, and that it that will be what gates your uh, your romance options. But I know that that people still it's still gated in weird ways. So, uh, it it is. I I think now we can at least see what they wanted for Cyberpunk's launch, but it still feels like a game that needs more. And I think modders will do some stuff. I've more. already seen some cool mods. Uh, I think DLC might help a little bit too, but at least now we can kind of see the the ideas. The writing is very extra. Everything about this game is super extra from, you know, the fact that everybody is, they're like, look, this game has hookers. Yep. Okay. Sex workers. I am sorry. I apologize. Mm-hmm. But the game probably would say no, that. No, the, the game it's will very... refer to them like that way. Yeah. 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 Uh, joy toys. As they, as they yeah. call them. It's very Frank Miller-esque. Yeah. It's it's a game that imagines a future as like somebody would imagine it now. And so they're like, oh, sex work will be a huge thing in the cyberpunk future. But they don't think of how that could evolve and change the ways that we view sex work and the way that sex work could change. They're just like, what if all the prostitutes of the future 
were also kind of androidy and <laughs> yeah like that's that's the thing is they they have cool future ideas but it doesn't feel like a setting that has moved into the future and maybe that's intentional you know maybe the whole thing they're telling us is that humanity is never going to change it's always going to be a pile of of dung all the way into the future but it could be more thematically interesting dung to to wait around in the uh you spend a lot of time in elevators and mm-hmm. There are always advertisements playing. It reminds me of being playing the original Mass Effect, actually. And the, mm. the commercials are always really annoying in that GTA kind of way. I, mm-hmm. I don't like them. The the shock jock uh, mm-hmm. advertisements and stuff just constantly in and the elevators and on them. the billboards. You can't because you them. can't escape the uncomfortable future, cat. You I, can't I close your eyes and make it go away. Yeah. So yeah, I was playing, I've been playing Cyberpunk and that's another game that I sort of feel like obligated to be up on because it's in the discourse. They're still making it. There's going to be expansions. And I feel like there's probably actually a lot of interesting stuff to be found, especially the the side character, side mission characters, Pan Am mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and Judy and all of that. And I enjoy riding around um, Night City in a way that I didn't enjoy riding around in GTA V's world. So I'm inclined to keep going. I also feel like this game at times, I, I can feel the um, the tension in this game mm. in a lot of ways. Uh, there's friction. Ah, friction. I love that word. Friction. Mm. There's a lot of friction. No, we're not giving friction to this game. <laughs> it's friction. This game. This, this game, this ain't pathologic, all right? This game doesn't get friction. It's not allowed to have it. The combat isn't good. How about that? I um, No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this game suffers from being the everything game. The, people want mm-hmm, a game mm-hmm. that's like a holodeck, right? Where they mm-hmm. go in and they feel like they're in a world and they are meeting these characters who feel extremely real and everything. And Cyberpunk wants to be everything. It wants to be the game that's an, a great shooter and a great driving game and an amazing RPG with very realistic characters and deep, dense, multi-layered side missions and a huge city. And they got it to a point where it's not embarrassing anymore. <laughs> but in trying to do all of that, they made a game that doesn't necessarily excel at any one thing except for the fact of sheer scale. Yeah, it's it's almost weird how metaversey this game can feel at times. And I know that we are hurtling towards the, you know, abyss in terms of metaverse stuff, but it's hard to look at a game like Cyberpunk that so badly wants to be everything all of the time and not see hints of something like a Fortnite, which Fortnite you might think of as just a battle royale, but it's also a game where musicians can host concerts and you can build things with your friends and you can, you know, you can be Laura Croft doing the Dougie while Cammy jumps over a whale with a golf cart. And that's, that's like the weird cyberpunk future that we're actually probably hurtling towards is some ready player one abyss of, of hell. <laughs> but, uh, it is like cyberpunk does want to be that GTA everything, right? It wants you to never be bored, never stop moving. And ironically, one of my favorite mods that I've found 
for cyberpunk is one that turns the trains back on and lets you ride the trains so you can just sit and look at night city and see what beautiful night city looks like yeah that's great that that sounds real pleasant doesn't it it sounds real nice and I think Cyberpunk is a game that maybe doesn't always I want, want to, have you to slow down that much. You do so. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, the narrative around this game has flipped. There are Cyberpunk stands in the much the way as there mm-hmm. are Google Stadia stands. And I got to say, the interest around this game is really like absurd. Every time we write about Cyberpunk over at IGN, people go yep. nuts for it. They are crazy for this game. So it's going to be around for uh, the foreseeable future. But yeah, I, Cyberpunk 2077, it's it's working now. You should go try it, I suppose. But I like, but like I said, Pokemon, my, my ranking right now, Pokemon Legends Arceus, Horizon Forbidden West, Cyberpunk, in terms of the games that I actually want to be playing at the moment. It does have a five-hour trial, so there is that. All right, let's talk about a little bit of a tragedy, Eric. There's some sad news that came out this week. The Wii U and 3DS eShops are closing. Yes, uh, starting May, they will not be accepting payment anymore in the Wii U and 3DS eShops. And then they will stop accepting um, uh, the actual codes, being able to redeem codes. And then in March, 2023, you will no longer be able to buy new games, download demos, that kind of thing. You'll only be able to re-download the games that you already own. It's a it's a huge bummer. Uh, Eric, what's your, your knee-jerk reaction to this? It sucks. This yeah. sucks. Like, yeah, that's fair. These are, yeah. They're not even old consoles yet. They're not even old consoles yet. We're, sure, we're, what, five years now almost into the, the Switch's lifespan, so... We're a little bit past the Wii U and the 3DS, but it Nintendo has not done much to preserve these games outside of package up its favorite ones from the Wii U and resell them on the Switch. And to just turn the key like this on a bunch of games when I don't think the effort has been made to preserve their backlog compared to your Xboxes and your Sony's. And, and let's be clear here, because this is like, you know, we we love Nintendo, right? I have a very strong personal attachment to Nintendo because I grew up playing Nintendo. My first personal game console was a Nintendo Game Boy with The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. And I have a very strong personal attachment to Nintendo handhelds and Nintendo games and Nintendo properties. But Nintendo is a business. And it's going to make businesses, business decisions, I should say, about money and selling products and having access to products. And this deserves to be called out for what it is. It is removing access from a massive library of games. Sure, they gave us what, like a year's warning before it's going to happen. I think it's March 2023 is is when it all goes down. But uh it's it sucks to see all this disappear and not see like much of an effort to preserve most of it. I mean, we literally last week were running down a bunch of awesome DS games to play. And while I was going through that list, I was thinking in my head, how many of these can I actually play right now without resorting to emulation? That's the list is so small. And yeah, it's 
it, it it's a massive bummer. It's a huge bummer. And I mean, you know, end of day, you know, it, everyone has their own ability to take control of what they would like and find their own means of of playing games that are long begotten. And I would not necessarily advocate for any of them on a place in public, but uh, it's it, it sucks. I just, I think of games on on the Wii U, especially what I I'm not going to say is the greatest console, but it's got some games that were underappreciated. And most of them, thankfully, have been ported to the Switch, but that just means that they're now available for you to purchase for $60. But there's stuff like Xenoblade Chronicles X. It's going to disappear into the ether now. It's the like the good I mean, version. You like you have in your buy, notes, it's the good version. Yeah, you can still buy it physically, but if you download it, it's better if you download it. So yeah, kind of a rough time. But more than that, the retro game market's kind of out of control at the moment. It's going to bubble like crazy. Yeah, and so like a lot of these games are going to shoot up in price. I think that uh, there are certain games. I, I think back to when uh, Metroid Dread was coming out last year. And everybody was like, oh, I want to replay Metroid Fusion and Metroid Zero Mission. And Nintendo's like, eh, sorry. You could get those games on the Wii U through the GBA VC, but actually buying them, good luck. They're actually quite expensive uh, these days. And these games mm-hmm. are only going to get more expensive now that uh, the 3DS and the Wii U eShops are closing. It really stinks to see uh, Nintendo treating its history as really disposable in this way and honestly mm-hmm. i don't know I, I i especially feel like the 3ds still has some life to it um and i, I think they could have kept it, at least a 3ds e-shop open for a little while longer i i'm kind of like what's the rush guys i mean the ps3 uh store is still open and that thing's been around since 2006 yes i know it costs money but maybe don't you have a little bit of an obligation to the games uh, games industry, to history, your history? Mm-hmm. I don't know. In, in yeah. any case, go get Golden Sun and download it while you still can. Get Pokemon Art Academy. I'm not even joking. That game is on 3DS and it is so much fun. It is legitimately one of my favorite Pokemon spinoffs. And it's I, I don't know how you access it after this goes down. So yeah, huge virtual shop stuff. What is, is Pokemon is also Art good. Academy, by the way? Pokemon Art Academy. Let me tell you, it is there there were a long line of Art Academy games that that came out uh on the 3DS and the DS specifically. All it does is it's basically you have the top screen and bottom screen. And they kind of give you instructions on the top screen on how to do different things. So it teaches you how to like, you know, put the circles down to build a base of a sketch and then start to fill in details. And it teaches you how to do art stuff. And I'm terrible at art. Art is one of my words. Like I, if y'all look at my Twitter feed, I did an MS paint picture for a friend of mine to show him how to plug an Elgato into the computer. And that is the extent of my art ability. And this game made me feel like I was an artist able to create pastel and watercolor portraits of Pokemon that actually looked really, really good. And I was super proud of, I cannot recommend it enough. I honestly think it is a fantastic video game. Even if you don't have a lot of nostalgia for Pokemon specifically, I think the actual stuff it does is really cool and interesting. Uh, Feels very tactile because of the stylus, but it's little things like that that always get lost by the wayside in this whole thing, right? It's it's not the big games. It's not your Donkey Kong tropical freezes and stuff like that. 
it's your tiny games that get lost in the landslide. And speaking of Pokemon, I, it was it's really a bummer because Pokemon Gen 1 and Gen 2 were available through the mm-hmm. 3DS eShop mm-hmm. and you could connect them to Pokemon Home, which meant mm-hmm. that the entire Pokemon ecosystem was effectively connected, which is great. Mm-hmm. Except that now all of those games will no longer be available on the 3DS. And so we're kind of back to square one unless they actually get moved over to the Nintendo Switch. You can still play them. But like I have a a cartridge of Pokemon Crystal, which, by the way, is like $100 Mm -hmm, these days. mm -hmm. I have a copy of Pokemon Crystal. I can't get those Pokemon onto to home Pokemon home. You're going to want to download Pokemon Bank while you can. Yep. Yep. Uh, thankfully, Pokemon Bank is going to be free after this, so mm-hmm. it'll still be a thing. So you'll still be able to transfer your Pokemon. But at some point, probably in the near future, um, possibly as early as next year, the servers are going to shut down uh, for these games and or even possibly for the entire eShop. And well, you're just plumb out of luck, you know, so uh, we're kind of at the uh, the mercy of Nintendo and that's uh, that's the price we pay with these uh, this all digital future. I'm just sad. I have nothing else to say. I'm just sad. I'm thinking about the fact that I've got a list of 3DS games that I got to run down and go make sure I've got. And, you know, now I got to set aside however many bucks that is to go buy all of them. So, yeah. Buy Devil Survivor Record Breaker is the 3DS version of Devil Survivor 2. It has an entire extra campaign that is pretty good in my opinion and uh devil survivor is a wonderful video game so yeah what a bummer of a note to end the 3ds and ds era it really is the end of an era in a lot of ways right Mm because the ds and the 3ds were one straight line that connected more than a decade of nintendo history up until the nintendo switch and nintendo's like that's done get out of here moving on don't care anymore it's kind of weird also because yeah i know like there was a point where like people just did not care about the 3ds anymore and just moved on to the switch but Mm -hmm. the 3ds still exists you know i think people still probably buy it um especially people who um are uh less advantaged can't always get the newest things yeah or they just want to explore a new console i don't know I bought the Wii U well after it came out and bought a ton of Wii U games and went through that library like crazy. So Hmm. shame on you, Nintendo and take a page from Sony and keep your dang online stores open at least for a little bit longer Hmm. so that we can keep playing these games. It feels like a bigger loss than, uh, than when we were going to lose the Vita because yeah, we were losing all those PlayStation games and everything, but here so much of the uh, 3ds and the, uh, the Wii U is just going to be very difficult to play. At least a bunch of those games are moving to Steam and stuff is the thing. Like, yeah. that's the other factor in the Nintendo thing is that they're not going to other platforms like Persona 4 Golden's on Steam now. So we've got it there, but we don't have that equivalent for a lot of these 3DS, 3DS and Wii U games. There are a lot of um, suggestions on games to buy uh, happening in the Stars of Destiny live chat, including Gamer Esque suggesting the Radiant History, Historia Perfect Chronology. Uh, mm-hmm. very good RPG might find its way into the top 25 RPG remake nomination list at this, at some point 
There's also Fire Emblem for the GBA. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of games to pick up that just have not made their way over to the Nintendo Switch. We joke a lot about uh, the Switch having all of the games ported, but the fact of the matter is there's still large holes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really hope Nintendo decides to put games on, uh, at least put the Game Boy on Virtual Console. It stinks that the GBA was once gonna, again going to be very hard to get hold of. Mm-hmm. What are you doing, Nintendo? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. All right. Eric, it is now time to jump into a little segment. This is from our $50 patron, Ruka, who's in the chat right now. And they sent me a message. And they said that they want us to talk about games where you have a macro strategy or management layer, normally based around kingdom province management, and micro tactics or RPG layer for actual combat, e.g. Dragon Force or Brigandine. I think Pokemon Quest might even fit into this subgenre. They're still around in some form, as with Grand Kingdom and the new Brigandine, but I find they're mostly sidelined into ultra-niche territory. I think it would be hard for a new one to get the rave reviews that Dragon Force did at its launch. PC games have often toyed with this genre. Some I've enjoyed mm-hmm. include Heroes of Might and Magic. Oh, yes, Heroes of Might and Magic. Yeah. Disciples yeah. in Age of Wonders. Have you ever played Heroes of Might and Magic, Eric? Uh, it's one that's been on my radar. It's another one of those ones that I look at all the boxes it has that are checked for me that like, yes, I would enjoy this. And I'm like, how have I not played these games yet? So, uh, yeah, someday. I don't know. Someone's got to tell me which one to play. That's the hardest part. It was the same way with Dragon Quest where everyone was like, how have you never played a Dragon Quest? And I'm like, how did, there's like 11 <laughs> of them. Which one do I play? So uh, my housemate is a big Heroes of Might and Magic fan because it's um, it takes the Might and Magic kind of formula of RPGs, but then puts it into more of a board game esque Mm-hmm. kind of thing almost like warhammer total war warhammer or something like Ooh, that so yeah, yeah it's kind of okay. neat high level strategy mm-hmm. um romance of the three kingdoms nobunaga mm-hmm. and similar games have often offered some detailed character builders with stats etc to the point that i felt like i was playing an rpg in addition to the kingdom sin mm-hmm. i know i knew jb and brian from the discord were passionate about these types of games too so I had conversations with them and they had some interesting thoughts. And then there's fairly lengthy conversations. I'll get to that in a hot second. They're talking about Divinity Dragon Commander, which yeah. I know is a game that yeah. is right after your own heart. I, I guess the mm-hmm. first question that I have is why aren't there more games, more RPGs that tackle the high level strategy as opposed to just tactics? It's it's an extra layer, you know, it's an extra thing you have to build for. And I think in terms of an actual RPG RPG, uh, those structures don't always lend themselves well to a strategy game where the objectives tend to be a little bit different. You know, you're kind of aiming to control and conquer and approach it as you see fit rather than along some sort of narrative driven line and so designing around that you got to kind of do it from the outset you got to say from the beginning this is what we want to do and as ruka is pointing out in the chat here you do have to set out from the beginning saying this is the sort of thing we want to make we want high level macro low level micro rpg down here and rpg up here there's just a lot working between the two and i think that's why 
you can see kind of shades of it in different games, especially when you look at how the Forex genre has been evolving over the years. You look at things like Stellaris or a personal favorite of mine, which is Endless Legend. Uh, those have a lot of RPG concepts built into them. And while something like Endless Legend is way more of a Civ type game than other things, it also feels very RPG like where you are being given quests and you are kind of building a faction and, and units and you are playing these low level battles that are tactical strategy battles and then expanding out to the larger map. So you just have to design for, for it from the beginning. And that's like you're now doing a niche within a niche, you know, <laughs> are, are you going to not deliver for the 4X fans if you do that? If you look at the types of RPGs that are out there, you have your open world RPGs where you're kind of a lone adventurer, like The mm -hmm. Witcher or Skyrim, that kind of thing. And then you have your JRPGs, which is like a party. And I think that so much of that traces its roots back to the days of, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and Lord of the Rings, right? Mm -hmm. Where you have the party of adventurers who are off to go and fight evil, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that there is, it is valid, for example, to make a character who is a general and mm -hmm. have an army. And part of the role playing is sort of like Dragon Age Inquisition, for example, where you're building your forces. Like, I am a big fan of RPGs where I get a big old castle <laughs> or, mm -hmm. or a ship or something. And I get to do some high level macro management uh, with these things that in turn impact my character. It's, it's kind of odd to me that we don't have more of that. We have it in Suikoden, we have it in Dragon Age Inquisition. But mm -hmm. I, I think that there's uh, gameplay elements that can be very accessible and very satisfying, right? Um, Last year, we got uh, Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous as an example yeah, yeah, of a game yeah. that did that pretty well. So mm -hmm. um, it, it is there, but it sort of feels like a trend that is slowly but surely on the rise. Yeah, I think there's other stuff like Mountain Blade Warband and things like that that also, again, come to it from the strategy side, but have a lot of RPG aspects to it, a lot of storytelling aspects to it. That is the other thing is games as as storytelling has expanded in games rpgs have kind of seeped their way into other genres just by virtue of wanting to expand out character progression wanting to expand out the ways in which you can tell a story which weren't previously possible i mean we went from starcraft which had hero units which are really just stronger versions of normal units to warcraft 3 where you have pretty much an RPG hero that is in your army and that you have to level up and give items to and spend money on. And then that turned into Dota, which I say that Dota is a competitive RPG, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, it is this weird thing where the more it seeps in, we do start to blur lines. And so I don't know where you draw the line of what is an RPG with macro progression versus a macro progression game that has RPG elements in it. And then we have to set the counter back to zero on what's an RPG. So <laughs> I think that it just is how dig you, how deeply you dig into uh, the character customization, um, mm -hmm. how deeply you dig into the characterization um, and how you interact with your 
uh, particular characters? Is it much more about strategy and conquering the world? Or is it, or is that kind of a something that fuels the actual character development that as you mm. progress in the game, your fortress gets bigger and bigger and bigger and you have a cook and they're cooking things. And that's, you have a cooking that's crucial. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it, it kind of depends where the, the focus is like a game like total war, for example, it's all about the strategy. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. a game like uh, pillars of eternity, a game that, where you do have a castle that is all about the actual character's journey. So I think that is kind of where uh, the difference lies, as it were. Um, Brian, uh, Brian Seenert, who is also in this chat right now, uh, said Crusader Kings, which is not mm-hmm. a game that we've uh, really talked about very much because it's not a game that it's always been a little uh, intimidating to me. Yeah, uh, the yeah. Crusader Kings games. But mm-hmm. the, the, the most recent Crusader Kings came out not too long ago. And that is a game where you marry everybody and create an absurdly incestuous line and keep mm-hmm, going and mm-hmm. going and going. Um, and that is that is a a lot of people will say that is a role playing game, right? Where yeah, yeah. you have a series of char- you have a series of characters who are moving down their birth line, <laughs> your family, manage the family. I mean, I don't see. A significant difference outside of the the hard game mechanics at the base level um you know that the actual moment to moment they are different but once you start going up i don't think there's much difference between crusader kings and darkest dungeon it's the same mm. idea you're not you're not building necessarily a single character you're building a lineage you're building a party you're building this force that is moving forward and you are kind of this omnipotent force that is moving things and characters come and go you don't have a central pin to any of it so yeah i i think that falls under the umbrella i think it'd be totally fair to call ck like a grand strategy rpg i had kind of forgotten about grand kingdom actually it was a pretty neat game though it came out on the playstation vita back mm-hmm. in the day beautiful graphics and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The strategy elements aren't that complex. Ultimately, there is a, a multiplayer factional kind of element going on between the uh, the various kingdoms. But by and large, um, on a moment to moment basis, you have a party and it's almost mm-hmm. a little bit like Valkyrie profile in the way that they're fighting and everything. And you're kind of grinding and you're kind of moving through. Uh, but uh, there's a board. It's more like a board game in some ways in the way that mm-hmm. it handles everything. But I, I enjoyed it back in the day. Uh, Eric, this is the part where you get to kind of wax poetic some more about uh, Dragon Commander. Dragon Commander is just a beautiful game. What what I need to say about it, you are a dragon god. You can descend from the heavens to back your forces up. It's a strategy game, sure, where you dispense uh, armies to die for you, and then you swoop in as a big old dragon and breathe fire on things, and it rules there. But then there's a macro strategy level where you are having to it it grapples with some interesting topics there's a literal part where you have to determine whether you're going to implement don't ask don't tell into your military and there are real ramifications for that and you have to make these sorts of like political decisions and military decisions and there's a whole thing about marriage and who you choose to marry and how that affects the politics between your nations and then all the other nations and also the people you can marry vary from your more 
let's say, conventionally attractive characters to, say, a skeleton, just a literal skeleton. Uh, that is, you can marry the skeleton. And it's actually a very interesting and fun quest line and story if you do that. Uh, I think Divinity Dragon Commander is insanely slept on. And it's one that, I mean, I played it for about maybe 20 hours back in the day. And I don't even remember how far I got into it, but it's one that I constantly think back on. Like that game was way cooler than it's given credit for and definitely has ideas in it that I would love to see explored. You know, once we're on the other side of Baldur's Gate (laughs) three. So they're also talking about Dragon Force, which is on the Sega Mm -hmm. Saturn. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about that game is that you have these armies clashing it's kind of similar in Yggdra Union if I recall correctly this the Sting game oh that's and on my playlist there's a, a spectacle that um uh, are in these games apparently uh, older reviews re- compared it to Braveheart <laughs> because Braveheart was relatively new at the time oh, but yeah yeah I think that especially for a lot of these fantasy RPGs people you have the the little party but then it's also fun to watch huge kingdoms clash and have your characters kind of be in the middle of that and to be able to mm-hmm. make decisions along those lines. Um, weirdly, I think of Final Fantasy VIII in that regard. One of my favorite parts of that game was always uh, when the garden is getting invaded. And that's not like a grand strategy thing, but you are making decisions about where characters end up going and everything. Uh-huh. Or even the suicide mission in Mass Effect 2, where you are giving directions to your party and they're Mm -hmm. carrying them out and your decisions have real ramifications on how the actual, uh, the battle or the set piece ends up playing out. That's, Mm -hmm. that's good RPG stuff right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and JB says one last thing, and possibly the origin of this little subgenre is Lords of Midnight. It's basically a Lord of the Rings spin ripoff where not Sauron subjugates the land in real time while hunting for not Frodo to win. You either have to use not Aragorn to recruit the petty Lords of the land to destroy the evil Citadel, which functions as a war game or take the fellowship to destroy the one ring ice crown. That's pretty cool. I've never heard of this game before. Really, really cool. I was lamenting about this on the, the timeline lately that we don't have enough Lord of the Rings RPGs. We have like the one that came out and was basically Final Fantasy X with Lord of the Rings on top of it. And we really need stuff like that. Where's Battle for Middle Earth at? Bring that series back. (laughs) Do we have to? I don't know. I'd love to Battle for Middle Earth. No, no. Come on. Battle for Middle Earth, Galaxy at War. Come on. I think the reason, the real reason we don't see more high level strategy RPGs I think we did before in many ways, mm-hmm. uh, but that was during a more experimental era for RPGs. I think RPGs are a deeply conservative genre mm-hmm. and I think they've gotten more conservative in recent years. And if you look at JRPGs, they tend to follow a, a particular template, uh, one of a few established templates. And a lot of them tend to be more nostalgic and looking backward. And if you look at Western RPGs, they're open world, right? Mm-hmm. So um, so they are not going, especially because RPGs are so big and take so much effort to make, it is hard for them to really push the boundaries and push the limits of what is possible. 
and a high a grand strategy game might be too confusing for people. They might get scared and have a hard time. So the best you're probably going to get is something like the Fortress in Dragon Age Inquisition. Whereas, you know, back in the days of the Sega Saturn and whatnot, you had games like Dragon Force, which were like, mm-hmm. no, let's go for it. Let's, let's mess around and see if we can turn this into a board game. Like, how can we apply Dragon Quest-like uh, mechanics to this genre or that genre? So, alas, if only. But I, I would definitely play a game where you're a general uh, a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if Pokemon Conquest really counts as an RPG myself, but it does have Pokemon in it. <laughs> Close enough. Close enough. Thanks so much, Saruka, for providing the topic. And all right. You know, Nadia's not here this week. So this week, it's Cat's Nostalgia Nook. And this week, I'm going to talk about my experience in the year 2004, Eric. Pokemon Rocks America was on Mm -hmm. tour. American Idiot was the soundtrack that was playing in, well, most of our cars. It was playing in my car. That's for sure. (laughs) It was in my car. Yeah. It was in my car. And I I went to the North parking lot in the Mall of America. Oh. And mm-hmm. I went and I got my Deoxys and I picked up a stalker too. What? <laughs> I figured that I needed to take this into nostalgia pit territory. You said Nadia's not here for the sudden turn <laughs> in the story. So I'm going to come up with a story that has a sudden turn. Yep. You what? Yeah. And how? Yeah, no, um, I was on a IGN, I was on the IGN boards at the time, mm. actually. And I was playing uh, the Pokemon. Uh, I was playing Pokemon in the community. And I think I established that I was going to the Pokemon Rocks America 2004 tour. Oh no. Oh. And um, uh, apparently this person was watching me from afar because they started sending me a lot of very creepy messages. I don't like um, that. Yep. Yeah. They knew where I worked and everything. And thankfully, Ugh. thankfully, they never did anything. Um, they I never had to call the cops or anything. It was like kind of a near miss. And this is like a pre fairly the pre social media era. But it was a it was a fun couple months of having this person basically saying they know exactly where I was at any given moment. Um, I don't know if they got bored or something like that, but it it was quite a thing to be to get a message to be like, I saw you at the Pokemon Rocks America thing, standing on the stage or whatever. So, no, yeah. bad, bad. Yeah, it was that was a that was a thing. But I did get a Deoxys, and I did play a lot of. Um, I did win all three of my trainer battles. <laughs> I got a. Uh, <laughs> Agron. I, I got a Deoxys. <laughs> I want some battles. So really, you know, it's a mixed bag. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it's very cursed, yes. Um, in some ways, uh, it was an awkward time because I was in my 20s and mm-hmm. uh, there were a lot of kids there. Um, 
and I was much too old to be attending uh, an mm. event like this. But at least I was in my early 20s, so it wasn't as bad. Um, but yes, that's the uh, cat's nostalgia pit question mark. Yeah. I, I mean, sure, back then, you know, being older and into Pokemon was a thing, but nowadays everybody's into Pokemon. I mean, I, I've i got a thing of, of Pokemon trading cards right back there, and, and I got a box pre-ordered for yeah. when the new set comes out. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a new day. It's a new world. And you can go get your Deoxys and win your trainer battles and hopefully not be worried about weird dudes at the Mall of America. <laughs> yeah, weird dudes in the North parking lot of the Mall of America. I mean, I've been to the Mall of America. There there are many weird dudes at the Mall of America just by nature. <laughs> There's a place for fun in your life, the Mall of America. There you go. So, obviously, we don't need to go into details because of all the, the reasons we just talked about, but do you remember the year that they changed Camp Snoopy at the Mall of America into not Camp Snoopy anymore? Because that hurt me yes. personally. It hurt my soul, Eric. It's it's Camp Snoopy. It's yes. not whatever Nickelodeon thing they turned it into. It is the Peanuts. Uh, SpongeBob Land, yeah. 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 No, when they put that SpongeBob bikini bottom drop in there, whatever, that was mm-hmm. the sign of the end right there. Then they got rid of the. Is the Pepsi Ripsaw still even there? I mean, uh, no, it's just been renamed. Yeah, <sighs> terrible, I, I, terrible. And I was never a, a SpongeBob fan, so I uh, really, yeah, not a no, SpongeBob fan. Not a SpongeBob fan. It. People say I was just a couple years too old uh, for Pokemon. For me, it was I was a couple years too old for SpongeBob, even though they came out at the same time as Pokemon. Maybe it was something about the uh, the art style um, and the humor. Yeah, Yeah. I I know that there are people who are adore who adore SpongeBob, but the name SpongeBob SquarePants instantly put me off. Yeah, yeah. But then you watch and it's got stuff like Smitty Warper Jaegerman Jensen (laughs) and stuff like that. And uh, dost thou feel it now, Mr. Krabs? And I, I don't know. I had a really weird argument a while back because someone was arguing that spongebob is more quotable than the simpsons and that was a uh, very heated argument and, and granted i'm a spongebob fan and i was on the simpsons side of it and i feel like i'm on the right side of history here but it was it, it got heated fast and i do think there is now a generational divide and spongebob for a younger generation holds that spot in their minds of of what the simpsons absolutely. does for the older generation oh yeah uh, simpsons is very much for millennials who are over 30 at this point mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah, the kids now like SpongeBob or they like Bob's Burgers and even that. Oh, Bob's Burgers um, is very funny. Yeah, Bob's Burgers is feeling the niche that was once populated by the Simpsons in mm-hmm. many ways. Mm-hmm. So, um, what was the blue guy from SpongeBob? Like there's um Talk about the, Squidward? Uh, Squidward. Uh Yeah. The uh the, <laughs> the meanest guy. thing Katie ever said was the time that she compared me to Squidward and I was like I don't know what that means but and then I looked it up and I was like oh thanks Katie <laughs> Katie Katie knows how to cut deep you know she does. I don't know if she, she means does. it intentionally or not I still think about first time meeting her in person she's she was like I thought you'd be shorter and I was just like what <laughs> yeah I don't know. Uh, Squidward seemed like he's he's a realist, 
right? So um, I, I'm going to own it. I mean, I choose to own. I think what what it's about is that Squidward is the you know, the comedic straight man to the antics of SpongeBob and Patrick, you know, SpongeBob and Patrick are getting up to nonsense with their leaf blowers and their bear circles and stuff. And then, uh, Squidward's just like, well, I don't like that. And, and all that kind of stuff, you know, he's, he's not having any of it. So in the chaos, in the chaos that was USG, you you saw all of Nadia and and Katie and Mike frolicking about with their leaf blowers, and you were the mm. Squidward to that. I could see that. Yeah, that's uh, the price of being the boss. Mm-hmm. It's your Squidward, mm-hmm. I guess. You do have so. to be Squidward. That is that is the price you pay. Well, that was Cat's nostalgia nook. Uh, how did I do, Eric? Did I do okay? Uh, you you had the turn. The turn's the most important the part. Like any good magic yeah. trick, you know. It was a good cat nostalgia nook slash pit. All right. Surprise. Yeah. Let's keep on going to the top 25 RPG remake 2022 integrate the segment in which we pick four RPGs to go into the list of nominations for the top 25 RPGs of all time. We've got four more games to add to the list. We'll start with Nadia, who's not here, but she is here in spirit. Here is the game that she nominated Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story. I wish more people knew that the Mario and Luigi series had some of the funniest writing in the RPG genre. The first Mario and Luigi game, Superstar Saga for the GBA, is regarded as a classic, but I'd give the gold trophy to Bowser's Inside Story for the DS. The sprite work is sublime, the soundtrack is great, and the writing is sharp as attack. The mechanics are phenomenal. Not only do Mario and Luigi team up in battle for some epic bro attacks, but you get to dig around in Bowser's guts and harass him from the inside out to get him to reform his own skills. It's goofy as hell, but tremendously fun. Pretty much what you'd expect from a game where you get voted by Vord. That's not what that word is. (laughs) Vord. It's a big shame the 3DS remake gets zero attention. Oh, 3DS, R.I.P. The uh, Switch game pretty much squashed it, along with the new and great Bowser Jr. side story. Absolutely everything related to Mario & Luigi needs to be on Switch, but with the death of Alpha Dream, who knows what'll happen next. I think Bowser's Inside Story is a a great choice, and it's one of the uh, best games besides Thousand Year Door and um, that other game, Super Mario RPG. Yeah, uh, I... First of all, hats off to Nadia for being absent from this episode uh, on a booster shot sick leave and still getting Kat to say Vor on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But um, She did that on purpose. Oh my God, she totally <laughs> did that on purpose. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, kudos to Nadia for that. But I, I'm not playing Bowser's This is a kid's Bowser's podcast. Inside. This is family. It's okay. The kids don't know how to Google that. It's okay. Um, don't say words like that, Eric. Don't, don't say the don't, word Google. Don't Google that. Don't <laughs> um, Google that, kids. <laughs> uh, so I have not played Inside Story, but I do love the the Mario and Luigi games. I have thought about putting Superstar Saga forward a couple times uh, and then just always had other games come up. But uh, this is one that has always interested me from afar. And... Uh, I, yeah, this this almost 
convince me that I need to check it out, if only because the idea of punching Bowser's guts to make him do stuff in the real world is very, very good. <laughs> My pick for the top 25 RPG nomination, nomination list. It's an oldie. It's an oldie, but a goodie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ultima 4. Mm-hmm. I'm throwing Ultima 4 on the pile. It's usually considered the other amazing game right next to Ultima 7, but it's not as well known because it's quite old. And a lot of people are like, this game is completely inaccessible. I don't understand it. There's a quite a fa- uh, fascinating article about a college professor who tried to get a bunch of their students to play Ultima 4, and they had no idea what they were doing. And he was like, well, I included all of the materials, like the instruction manual and whatnot. And they're like, I was supposed to read that. <laughs> so uh, it's it's a game that really demands that you read the history of Britannia and all of the stuff that um, comes along mm-hmm. with Ultima 4. It, it's the kind of game that demands that you read uh, the game facts, even though game facts didn't exist back in the 1980s. But uh, Ultima 4 is fascinating to me because it's one of the early games that got away from the notion of some adventurers are off to kill the big bad monster, which was very prevalent. Richard Garriott got bored of that concept and came up with a game where instead you're mm-hmm. trying to build up the the virtues, the eight virtues. And there are a lot of different ways that you can do it. It's one of the earliest examples of a true open world game. It's mm-hmm. really smart. And even if he couldn't program in every single example of like reaction to how somebody was doing a thing, it was just far enough. It was just complex enough that people felt like they were being watched by the game or tested in some way and reacted accordingly. A lot of people considered it a a life-changing game. And so many RPGs to this day kind of take their cues from it. Um, Ultima 7 is a bigger, more sophisticated, frankly, more accessible game. Um, mm-hmm. And has one of the earliest examples, a modern UI and all of that. But there's a, a part of me that is drawn to the historical importance of Ultima 4, I think. And also just, it really kept hitting hard for a long time, all the way into the 90s. And it makes me a little sad that it's um, so lost to history I think that we should uh, appreciate Ultima 4 a little more. I blame EA for this because they killed <laughs> they killed that genre. Mm-hmm. But it's not like every single platform ever, so you can go and find it if you really want to. But yeah, I um, I don't know if we'll ever do a Pantheon on it because I think a lot of people will be like, I just is too old. Oh my mm-hmm. God. But I think that if you're willing to play the game on its own terms, there might be something truly special. But in the meantime, the thing that just continues to blow my mind is that it was doing all the stuff that we see in modern games. Like it was doing things that even modern games don't necessarily do as well back in the 1980s. Like that Mm -hmm. to me Mm -hmm. is just something to mark a something special. Yeah. It's uh, I Ultima is another series that because of my youngness, I had never really caught on to, but it's one that the more I hear y'all talk about it, the more I'm like, seems pretty foundational in a way I need to check out. So maybe maybe we need to force the issue. Maybe we need to say Ultima Pantheon month <laughs> and mm. and we just pick the number and not necessarily anything else. I don't know. Should we hold our audience hostage like that? Who's to say? 
Well, I think the options are Ultima 7, Ultima 6, Ultima 5, or Ultima 4, right? I mm -hmm. mean, mm -hmm. because Ultima Online is not really playable anymore. I mean, mm -hmm. I guess you can still play it, but I don't think it would be especially fun. And Ultima 9 was broken as all get out. Ultima right, 8 was right. kind of infamously bad. So mm -hmm. uh, hey, blame EA. Blame EA in a lot of ways uh, for what happened to that series and their unwillingness to uh, keep it going. Eric, what's your choice? Oh, I picked the name that is going to be very difficult for me to say, and I've been getting ready for it this whole podcast. I'm still going to butcher it, but here we go anyways. Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp FE. Oh, I got it right. I didn't I didn't do you the did sh all over it. Usually I, I do the seashells, seashells, that thing, but whatever. Uh, Tokyo Mirage is an absolutely phenomenal game. Uh, it is one of the gems of the Wii U that, that thankfully got a lifeboat out onto the Switch. It is still underrated, I think. It is honestly probably the best version of that style of combat system that we've had so far. I would even put it above Persona 5. Honestly, I think the combat system itself is absolutely wonderful with all the follow-up attacks that you can create and, and the chains that you can set up is a very intricate and, and detailed uh, battle system that feels very rewarding to master. Uh, but also just tone-wise, you know, I think it's really easy to fall into certain, you know, let's say genres of storytelling within RPGs, especially the Shin Megami Tensei and Persona ones. Uh, <laughs> uh, Brian, I see you. I see you trying to start it in the chat. Don't start with me. <laughs> um, you know, we we see a lot of darker storytelling in this realm, and I do think uh, Tokyo Mirage does engage with some darker stuff, but it tackles the idol industry in a very in interesting way, uh, the pop star industry. I, it's super cool that your whole setup is that you are this uh, entertainment company that also fights demons by night. And that's cool. Like, that's a cool idea. Let's them work with a lot of really interesting subject material. And also great soundtrack as well. Yeah. Oh, because of that, they get to have such a great soundtrack. And I honestly, I know some people get kind of up in arms because they feel that it was supposed to be a Shimigami Tensei and Fire Emblem crossover. And it's it is very much a Shimigami Tensei game first, I think. But the stuff they bring in from Fire Emblem is very good. I love having the kind of personas be Fire Emblem characters, these spirits that you draw in. And yeah, just all of it. The look of it's great. The music's great. The battle system's great. I think the dungeons are maybe the weakest part of it, but even then they're better than your average JRPG dungeon. Uh, it is honestly, I think, one of the more compelling modern JRPGs that we have in terms of what it strives to do that is different from the fold. You know, it is not a sequential entry that is beholden to any previous stuff before it. It gets to kind of be its own thing and it does a lot with that. And uh, yeah, it's, I, I sincerely think it's memorable and fun and also more attacks in RPGs should be breaking out into song into a concert and then striking the enemy with the power of friendship and love and also music. Like it, it is the closest we have to the Utada Hikaru RPG that we all need and, and, and have to have in our lives. So we're that we're, we're that much closer. It oh, is not like dark. tales. Abby. Japanese idol like culture is fairly dark, but in real life, but <laughs> yeah, but I mean, well, Utada it, it grapples with some cool. of that. 
Yeah, that's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it. I think is a compelling game and worthy of consideration. If we're putting other mm. Persona games and and Shin Megami Tensei games up, it, it deserves to be on that level. And finally, the community pick this month is Skies of Arcadia, and this is what Gameresque says. Second nomination goes to the very first Pantheon game, Skies of Arcadia. There are a few instances where I would actively encourage someone to pay mm-hmm. the secondhand market price of $150 for a 21-year-old experience. But Skies of Arcadia is worth every cent. The charm of the characters and narrative is uplifting without becoming campy or weighed down by tropes. The stellar soundtrack fails to receive the recognition it deserves. The airship combat is fantastic as it enhances the player's experience in every way. The world map, something RPGs desperately need to employ again, stands out among the best in the genre. If the goal is to capture the 25 best RPGs, there is no doubt in my mind that Skies of Arcadia needs to be included. Hey, we really mm-hmm. love the original mm-hmm. Fantasy Star, and you know, so yeah, and there's kind of a direct lineage from Fantasy Star to Skies of Arcadia in so many ways. It was like the Fantasy Star 5 we never got, only with airships. Mm-hmm. This is another one of those games, much like Tokyo Mirage, where it just is in its own realm. You know, it is totally its own thing and doing its own thing in a way that sticks with you long after you play it. Uh, I've barely played Skies of Arcadia, but I still remember a lot about that game just because of the style and the look of it. So definitely worthy of consideration. All right. That is the four new games that are being added to our list of consideration for the top 25 RPG remake. We'll be tackling all of it in June where we'll have a big old discussion about which game. We, which 25 games we want to do as we remake the list. It's going to be a huge argument, but again, those games are Ultima 4, Mario & Luigi, Bowser's Inside Story, Token Mirage Sessions, Sharp FE, and Skies of Arcadia. Keep on nominating those games. You can do that in the Top 25 RPG nomination channel over on the Discord. Okay, it's time for some random encounters. Uh, new, uh, sorry. All right. It's time for some random encounters, some news headlines from the past week. First of all, Atlas has posted a website for a Soul Hackers countdown. We could be getting Nishi Megami Tensei, but where the heck is my Persona 6 game? What's going on, guys? Come on. Uh, Chihiro Fujioka, director of Super Mario RPG, was in a interview with the Mario R- uh, with Minmax, sorry, and said that they would love to make a sequel to Mario RPG. Saying, "Yeah, I would absolutely love to make one." So in my career, I've been involved in a lot of games, and I would love to make the final one to be another Mario RPG game, if possible. And you know, Eric, a thousand Mario fans just swooned at that very thought i mean i i feel like we get this sort of answer from a lot of developers sometimes where they say like yeah i'd love to make this and then you know you got to deal with the reality afterwards but this is one where i i want to hope i i think this is mario rpgs are always a good time like a mario rpg whether it's mario and luigi or it's super mario rpg this is a fun world that suits itself well to a fun rpg design your paper marios and the like so yeah yeah come on come on nintendo we we gave you so much flack this episode win our hearts back capcom is also hosting a countdown it's probably street fighter 6 
Disgaea 6 Complete is coming to PlayStation and PC. Elden Ring requirements. Uh, you better beef up that computer because those yeah. minimum requirements are quite intense. And also watch out because you might get hacked in the process. So, <laughs> uh, Sonic is getting a third movie and Knuckles with Idris Elba is getting their own series, live action series. The Sonic Cinematic Universe is alive. Um, Baldur's Gate 3 got patch 7, um, and 1.0 will not be out until 2023. I guess, Eric, you got to see seven patch 7 early? Yeah, yeah. I'll just throw a quick mention of this in there because I kind of felt the last time I saw Baldur's Gate 3, I said, you know, I've seen enough of this game. Uh, I'll play it again when it's 1.0. Uh, and and the quote that went around from this, and and I was in a, a Q and A preview session. I got to ask uh, Sven Vinke about this, and he's very much like, you know, the burn down charts are going down. Things are looking good, but 1.0 probably not this year. We're looking at 2023 for for 1.0. It's about a year out, so that doesn't surprise me. But the thing that was really cool about this patch is they did a whole UI revamp. You know, they added some other stuff like the Barbarian class and and all kinds of cool, neat gameplay features that are always cool. But the UI revamp that they did looked like a finished game UI. It, it, it looked clean. It looked mm. neat. It, it looked functional. It reminded me a lot of the Diablo 3 UI, which I actually like a lot. Uh, and when I saw that, that was the first thing that sparked in my head. Like, okay, they are ramping towards 1.0 they're starting to make this game look like what it's going to look like at 1.0 so i put it out when it's out when it's done because once this game is out it's going to ruin my life it's going to destroy my life so Uh, like me and starfield in other words yeah yeah like Baldur's gate 3 every time i've seen it again every time i play it every time i think about it about the potential of this game i'm like this could destroy me and I, I will wait to be destroyed. You know, there's other things coming out this year that we got to think about. You know, we got the Starfields and the Elden Rings and stuff. So 2023, Breath of the Wild wide too. open, Larian. You're, you're doing great. <laughs> and we are out of time this week. Thank you so much for listening. Eric, what can we look ahead to for next week? I guess um, next week uh, we're getting Elden Ring pretty soon, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, we'll probably be talking a little bit about Elden Ring next week. I think, uh, you know, some of us will have, you know, more more to say than others, depending on how much time we get to to play with it before then. But uh, Elden Ring's coming up. Triangle Strategy's just around the corner. Mm. Uh, I mean, I might have played Horizon by then. Who's to say uh, if I decide to to pull the plug on that or not, but pull the trigger on that. I don't know what my metaphors are anymore. Yeah. So- uh, it's Eric. Who, who I've knows? decided that I like Horizon. Now I yeah. like Horizon. You are flip flopping on this podcast, cat. Like, you know this is all taped. We're catching the flip flop in 4K. Here. You, can de- you can delete all the parts where I said that it was a partially hydrogenated video game like substance. You and gave you gave me controls. That's I like it now. I like mm-hmm. it. What what you're I've, going to have I've to do is it. edit this podcast to make me sound smarter. That, we're doing 1984 cool. here. We've always yeah. been at war with East Asia. We've always Absolutely. been in love with Horizon. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, that's how podcasting works. I will be at Dice next week, so I'm going to be Ooh. schmoozing. First video game event in two years that I'm actually going to be attending. It's pretty amazing. So, so that means I'm going to be in Las Vegas, but I'll be back 
in time for the next recording of Acts of the Blood Gods. So don't you worry. You'll have all of the cat takes and weird stories. Like, I, I feel... Yes. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you enjoy the show, go ahead and leave us a review on the podcast of your choice. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Eric is at CMoosey. And we're on Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod, where you get tons of bonus content, including our guide to tactics RPGs and our game developer quest and our forthcoming summer of Gundam and lots more other stuff plus the Pantheon of the Blood God. Go and subscribe. It's right there. Patreon.com slash Blood God Pod. We're like $5 away from actually being able to do our tabletop adventure one shot. Lots more information on that coming really soon. We are heading into the post show right now. Don't go away, Stars of Destiny. And until then, for Eric and myself, thanks so much for listening. Happy adventuring. Environmental storytelling is never good. You know why? What? Ah! <laughs> I, should, I just remembered I'm editing this and I should take notes, but no, I'll leave that for myself to find later. <laughs> that'll be the, that'll be the blooper. <laughs> I was I was pointing, I was pointing so emphatically. I was like, ah. <laughs> Horizon, so heinous, cat just dunk stuff off the desk. I was getting so worked up that I knocked my microphone off the... Okay. Mm -hmm. But Eric, seriously, please edit that out.